the term who's in. That's not college football. That's part of it. There's a purpose for us changing lives and educations that we get. Do we want to believe and dream that we can win a national championship? Absolutely. Doesn't mean it's not a goal, but it's not the purpose of every program. Once we hit that, then aren't we professional at that point? Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. Welcome back to Free For All Friday. That was Duke's David Cutcliffe. Always spouting words of wisdom, life, football, Blue Devils, and otherwise. You can jump in with your question, comment, or complaint. It is a good weekend in college football. Duke is at Wake. Devils need to beat the Deeks this week in Miami next week to make a bowl game. I am not optimistic. The Wolfpack lost to Georgia Tech last night, killing the Pack's chances of making a bowl. Carolina will beat Mercer this week, but then has to deal with NC State next week just for the Tar Heels to get into a bowl. ECU's playing good football, but can't make it to a bowl, mathematically. Charlotte, under its first-year coach, Will Healy, hosts Marshall this weekend. That will be hard but can get win number six next week to get the 49ers to the first bowl in school history. We're headed to the Aggie Eagle Classic in Greensboro, and we are headed back to your free-for-all Friday phone calls, 1-800-849-2761. We do have some statewide lines open as we speak. As A&T hosts Central, the Aggies can clinch their third straight MEAC title and yet another bid. It'll be their fourth overall to the Celebration Bowl where they would meet the SWAC champ. More on that matchup with more of your phone calls, 1-800-849-2761. I do want to exercise my free-for-all Friday freedoms as we come to Alvin in Burlington, Dwayne in Thomasville, Tobin is in Chapel Hill. They have all sorts of different things on their minds, and that's what makes free-for-all Friday special. You steer the ship. It can be NFL college football or the other Topics that we discussed the most this week, but I have college hoops, a little boxing, some NHL, Canes, NBA, uh, Rockets at Clippers tonight, maybe the best matchup of the NBA weekend. How about a little James Harden with Russell Westbrook nowadays in Houston against Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, both Clippers, but they haven't played as Clippers teammates yet. They will tonight as the Rockets visit L.A. Best teams I've seen so far, Lakers, Clippers, and the Rockets out west. Bucks, Sixers, and Celtics in the East, two of the very best I've seen so far. Houston and the L.A. Clippers go head-to-head in a late-night game on ESPN this evening if you want to check that out. Beyond that, if you have not seen heavyweight champion Deontay Wilder in a boxing match, it is worthy of your consideration for tomorrow night. It is pay-per-view in Vegas. But he is taking on Luis Ortiz. Deontay Wilder is 34 years old. He has fought 42 times as a pro, and he has 40 knockouts. So he's 41-0-1, never beaten, only one draw, and he is defending his heavyweight championship belt tomorrow night in Vegas against Luis Ortiz. That is a rematch from a year and a half or so ago. That is worthy of your consideration on the weekend to come. And then the one thing I promised as we come to your calls, 1-800-849-2761. Darren, when you were a youngster in southwestern Virginia, I know you and I played more baseball than we played any other sport as youth athletes. But we did a little bit of everything in my neighborhood, and that included football. Now, your childhood came slightly later than mine. <laughs> slightly. R- roughly a two-decade separation, <laughs> if I remember correctly. You represent the 20-somethings and 30-somethings because you're smack dab in the middle of that demographic. I re- represent the 40-somethings and 50-somethings because I'm right smack dab in the middle of theirs. I am not going to turn this into it, and we were- walked uphill both ways through the snow into the wind 
to school and work as children. I'm not, I'm not going down that road. I am curious, though, as we honor the late, great Fred Cox, I'll bet you 99% of those who have enjoyed his product, he was a co-inventor of something in the sports world, have no idea who Fred Cox is. And that's despite the fact that he was a former NFL player who contributed something as an inventor to the greater sports world. If you were playing football with the neighborhood kids, I don't mean at school, I don't mean officially competitively. If you're playing in the backyard, what football were you using, trying to get my years right, what would this be? Like right around, right around the turn of the century, you'd have been what? Mid-90s to turn of the century, probably. Uh, All right, so what, like what were you 2000, using? In 2000, I would have been 11 or 12 years old. Perfect. Yeah. What were you guys throwing, kicking, and catching? What sort of football? So it would depend on the context, but in a lot of cases, we were throwing Nerf footballs. Ooh. Uh, what would you typically use? Because I was not expecting that answer. Our answer included Nerf footballs, but we did not have nearly as many quality options as you have <laughs> no. in the that, late 90s that's why I say the turn it, of the century. That's why I say it would depend on the context. If we genuinely wanted to play a game of football, we would have some sort of game ball that we would use. Actually, my brothers and I, to, to give another reference to the timing of it, we had an official XFL game ball from the original wow. iteration of the XFL. Wow. We often would use that in the backyard. And uh, would you describe that as a relatively quality ball? Some, you know, the leather or yeah. whatever, yeah, somewhat comparable? It would comparable? be akin to what you would get with like an authentic NFL ball, but the coloring was different. You know, it was the black and red football that was the XFL. So that was cool to us and we used it. So uh, it, otherwise, you know, Around that time, Nerf would come out with various products that had, you know, the, the football with the tail at the end of it so that when you threw it, oh, it, I remember it, that. it created a whistling sound. So th new things like that would come out that we would want to try. But if we were just conventionally playing football, we would lean more toward the, an actual game ball. I don't think I need my Barry White voice to tell this story. <laughs> but just, you know, the song you played as I was discussing my somewhat weakened voice right now where it just dropped so low that Maria told me it was sexy last night. I don't think I need that energetic music from Barry White, but I will tell you this. The invention of the late Fred Cox, the invention of Fred Cox, energized backyard football the way Barry White's song might energize, you know, a couple or two as long as they start stomping their feet <laughs> to this beat. Because prior to, this is the 70s now, you know, we didn't have, here comes the yelling at clouds. We didn't have all the options that you kids had. We didn't have the fancy XFL football. There was no XFL back then, Darren. The only things you could play backyard football with would be something kind of sort of like the leather balls you saw at the high school football local game or at the college or pro level. But they were so expensive, Darren that as we were all sharing potato soup without two nickels to rub together, waiting in long gas lines just to fill our cars, we had the option of splurging for the real leather ball. None of the kids in my neighborhood were able to do that. And you know what the alternative was? Before you entitled little brats at all, no. You know what the alternatives included? 
balls that were made out of a primitive form of plastic that was so hard. And this is the suburbs of Philadelphia, remember. It was often cold. The plastic was so hard and primitive back then that your hands could bleed even if you caught the ball properly. So it was either hang out with the rich kids and see what that leather felt like, or it was use the off-the-shelf from the cheap store that after you begged mom just to get you something that you could kick and throw and catch in the backyard. It was so primitive, Darren. It was so hard. You could get hurt. Like, I would worry today. I would not allow my children to play with it because, you know, in the famous Christmas movie, the scene where little Ralphie and you'll shoot your eye out? You could poke your eye out with one of those primitive footballs back in the 1970s and 1980s. Why do I share that to the sounds of Barry White? Because the guy who created the Nerf football just died. And we should all raise a glass, regardless of our generation, because he changed our backyard sports lives. Fred Cox was a kicker for the Minnesota Vikings, and even their all-time leading scorer as a kicker, he hooked up with an entrepreneur buddy of his and said, it actually hurts kids to kick these primitive balls, the ones in the backyard. It hurt to catch, it hurt to kick. I'm telling you, man, they weren't quite concrete blocks. I'm not gonna go all old man yelling at pigeons downtown in the park on you, but it was not fun. You guys wanna play football today? No, oh, man, I'm still bleeding from the last time we played. DG, you don't even throw that hard, and it still hurts my palms. Fred Cox got together with, with his entrepreneurial friend and said, what if we poured this softer substance into a mold that is the size of an actual NFL football? What if we used this soft foam rubbery material and just made it shaped like a football? No laces, but maybe the foam will include little protruding lace-style foamy substances. That was the origin of the Nerf football. That did come along in my childhood. That did make for much better backyard games. When we got older, Darren, we got the more lifelike leather-style footballs, and we all lived happily ever after. But if it wasn't for the late, great Minnesota Vikings kicker Fred Cox, we would not have had so much fun in the 70s and 80s. Since his passing was reported this week, we raise our glasses in his honor. He died Wednesday at the age of 80, the Vikings announced. 1-800-849-2761 is your ticket into the program. I believe it was 1972 when Cox came up with the idea for the softer football. And I guarantee that millions used them in the 70s and 80s before, you know, you rich kids had access to those nicer <laughs> footballs. 1-800-849-2761. Alvin in Burlington wants to fire Ron Rivera. Go right ahead. Uh, yes, uh, I have a, a reason for that. Uh, first of all, how can you take the last game where we're, the, line, the defensive line piles up in the middle and we try a, a power push through the line for one yard, and then we go and do the same thing again. And then when we had uh, 30 points down in the San Francisco game, we needed 18 inches, and we couldn't do it. And, I mean, we need a fullback, and they, they don't understand that. We haven't had a good fullback since Talbert. And we don't put uh, uh, McCaffrey 
in to block for Cam when he's throwing a throw. You, you, that, that's uh, a pullback block for him. I mean, some of the things he's been doing that don't deserve to be a, a coach. It's interesting. And, uh, you know, I don't know if you know this, Alvin, but most NFL teams don't even have a fullback on the roster anymore. So, I, you know, your points are well made, but it's not like Ron Rivera is unusual. He's actually carried Alex Arma and others in the aftermath of the Mike Tolbert era. But he is certainly not alone with, you know, the, the philosophy of not using too much roster space on a position that is viewed as a dinosaur. You want the fullback when you need the fullback. But on most other plays, fullbacks are not helpful that much. On special teams, in most cases, fullbacks are usually not very good receivers. Sometimes they're good at pass protection or whatever. Sometimes they can get you that one yard you need. So you're right that that's a weakness. I think most NFL teams nowadays are just trying to improve either their offensive line or some of them, if you have Leonard Fournette as your tailback, that's almost like a fullback playing tailback. McCaffrey, of course, is not built that way. And how many times is it that despite McCaffrey's best effort, remember at the end of the Tampa game on that creative play to the left side near the pylon and he just couldn't get in because it was two Bucks defenders against him? Uh, or, of course, at the end of the more recent game where Greg Van Roten is trying to pull him over the goal line uh, to make that game more interesting but couldn't get it done. It's not a McCaffrey problem. I'm not sure it's really as much a fullback problem as it is the Panthers either need to get better on the offensive line or give McCaffrey help at running back, or both. And I think they're going to invest so much in McCaffrey that they're, they're going to take the offensive line approach more than if you invested too much other money at running back and rotated McCaffrey with somebody, you're not going to have enough money to give McCaffrey the kind of new contract that he expects probably as soon as the end of this coming year. Thank you for listening, Alvin. We will pass along your fire Ron Rivera advice to David Tepper in Charlotte. 1-800-849-2761. Tobin is in Chapel Hill and next on the David Glenn Show. Hey, David, how are you? I'm doing great, man. What's on your mind? Your Barry White has more than a touch of Elvis, and now I'm really confused. Yeah, everybody. I'm sorry. I don't know. I'm just trying to use my deep voice like that. Does it come out as Elvis more, more than Barry White? And you don't want me to sing, that's for sure. I'll just say thank you very much. Thank you very much. Uh, listen, I consider you my, my hurricane therapist, <laughs> and I, I'm, I'm pretty upset by what I saw last night. And real quick, I just want to mention this season, I'm noticing the uh, missing Justin Falk a lot. I think structurally we look really loose and have not lived up to our preseason expectations on defense. Okay. We're also, I think Reimer is a downgrade from Curtis McElhaney, and that's something that nobody is talking about yet. And I know we're having a pretty good season, but roller coasters aren't good for the playoffs. True. And if you want to you score goals all season, that's great. But just ask the Tampa Bay Lightning how that's going to work when you can't defend anything once you get there, right? Yeah. So I know it's only not even Thanksgiving, but I'm just really sensitive to what the Hurricanes do in November because it's usually a really weak point, and we can't count on, you know, starting the next calendar year in some sort of record fashion like we did last year. I, I love what we did last year. I love our young core, but you know what? You, you, the, the baby faces can't carry the mail and, and rescue you in overtime every night. And you got to win that game last night going up two to nothing, man. Yeah. You got to win that. That's a separation. It was ugly. That's a, that's I a mean, Metro game. I took some guests to that game last night, and they were like, wow, DG, is it this way every night? For some of them, it was the end, their first NHL game. And the Canes got two against the Flyers right out of the gate, and the building was jumping, and the, I think they scored two in, what, the first 10 minutes or whatever? And it just felt like the Canes might blow the Flyers out of the building. They end up, of course, losing five to three. And, and leakiness on defense was a part of it. 
Uh, I don't know if they took their foot off the pedal. I, I, I saw a good work ethic most of the time. I, I would frame it this way in the bigger picture. The Canes are one of the 10 best teams that I have seen in hockey so far. The Canes are above the playoff cut line as we speak. Uh, now, you're right about trends, and you just can't tread water near the playoff cut line and be satisfied. That's what losing franchises do. So, And Rod Brindamore, of course, as one of the great leaders you'll ever see in hockey, he's all over that. And he, and he gets these guys to honor the process so that you hear him after every game. He spends far more time either criticizing or complimenting work ethic and execution and attention to detail. He actually spends less time what, uh, reflecting whatever the scoreboard said. So he will actually criticize them in victory and sometimes prop them up in defeat. And I think that's the right way to do it over the course of an 80-plus game grind. The only teams that I have seen so far this season that look significantly better than the Carolina Hurricanes would be teams like the Bruins, the Capitals, uh, the Blues, last year's Stanley Cup champions. I give a lot of credit to the Islanders. I don't know if they're going to keep it up. But, man, have they played way better, better than I would have guessed. The Lightning are mega talented, and they're probably going to join that group. But it's not like the Canes of 2019, who have not only Ajo scoring again, but Svechnikov is making that next step to superstar level. Man, he's, he's dangerous every time he steps onto the ice. Dougie Hamilton is leaky at times defensively, but as dynamic offensively as almost any defenseman in the entire league. So I see more good than bad. I see top third of the NHL when I watch the Canes play, and I only see, you know, that group of four, five, six that are sort of in a weight class above them. So maybe it sounds like I'm more optimistic than you are, but I see – I don't see a great fourth line, for example, uh, but I do see six quality defensemen. They're – more dangerous offensively than most in the NHL as a group of six. And I think their leakiness defensively is, is kind of average. Joel Edmondson had a really bad game last night. Just bad decisions, bad uh, judgment with his 10-minute misconduct, which you know puts the whole rotation uh, all out of sorts and off kilter. Uh, he's a big body, and, he, and they need that from him. But they don't need him, you know, knocking over Tavo Teravainen, so it's a three-on-one to put the puck behind Peter Mrazek. Um, I don't know. The, my list of positives is probably longer than Tobin's. My list of negatives might be similar to his, but not quite as long. And again, in the bigger picture, when I look at the Carolina Panthers right now, I don't see a playoff team. I see an average defense and a below-average offense for the Carolina Panthers as they head to New Orleans. That's not going to be enough to be a playoff team. It has, if they improve, they have a chance. But a below-average offense and an average defense is not enough. And it sounds weird to say average defense because they're, they're, they're among the league leaders in both sacks and interceptions. I mean, what's more important than turnovers at any level of football? The Panthers are getting better at two of their weaker areas, creating takeaways and sacking the passer – and yet they're only 5-5 five and five and kind of treading water. Overall, their numbers on defense are middle of the road, and overall their numbers on offense are subpar. Similarly, the Hornets have no chance at the playoffs. They're more interesting than I thought they were, and the NBA is fun because even if you go to a Hornets game, sometimes you can enjoy the opponent. You know, see LeBron and the Lakers. See, see now LeBron and AD and Danny Green in the Lakers. See Kawhi Leonard and... Uh, Paul George and the Clippers, et cetera. But the Hornets, we all know, are not going to the playoffs. The Panthers, it's still possible, but I certainly wouldn't bet on them making the playoffs this year. 
I would bet on the Carolina Hurricanes to make the playoffs. I mean, how many how many stories do we have to celebrate right now? Probably ain't going to be the Panthers. Probably ain't going to be the Hornets. I like long way to go. We just passed the quarter pole of the NHL regular season. Long way to go for your Canes. But take a look at other sports that we like to follow, right? NASCAR is over. Golf is still underway, but it's kind of in its off season. President's Cup, to me, worth watching next month in Australia. At the college football level, we have App State to follow in exciting ways. But State ain't making a bowl game. And Duke's probably not making a bowl game. And... Carolina might not make a bowl game. Wake's having a good year. It's not, but we run out of great stories pretty quickly, right? ECU's not making a bowl game, et cetera. So some of the sto- stories and schools that we followed in fun ways in other years are just not delivering right now. Always good news in our state at this time of year. If you haven't warmed up to college basketball yet, I mean, Duke is one of the best teams in the country and has massive potential for growth beyond that, as the old stripes line goes. I mean, Trey Jones, we all knew was good. Watch the freshman. I mean, last night it was Vernon Carey Jr. going crazy against Cal. Another, earlier this year it was Cassius Stanley. Maybe later this year it's Matthew Hurd or somebody else. Duke and Louisville are really, really, really good. So that gives the ACC more recognition and gives, you know, the state of North Carolina in the form of the Blue Devils for sure. The Tar Heels are in the top ten. I think the Wolfpack's going to be an NCAA tournament team. But that sport's just kind of, you know, just warming up now. We're headed to the Aggie Eagle Classic. It'll be interesting to see if A&T can put a nice exclamation point on its regular season in college football. There are other stories worth celebrating. Heck, even the MLS coming to the state of North Carolina. But that's down the road, assuming David Tepper and Charlotte put the finishing touches on their expansion bid. It's kind of a weird time. The Panthers gave us four playoff trips in a five-year period, including a trip to the Super Bowl not long ago. And now the Panthers are in the headlines far more often for whether Ron Rivera and Marty Herney are going to keep their jobs. It's a weird time, but I I think the Canes remain one of the the highlights, and I expect that to remain the case into next spring. 1-800-849-2761. Free for All Friday continues with your phone calls on the other side. It can be a question. It can be a comment. It can be a complaint. Steer us away from what you're tired of in sports radio. Steer us toward whatever's burning a hole in your sports soul or maybe something where you wanted in earlier this week, but the lines were jammed on our statewide platform. 1-800-849-2761. More of the highlights of the weekend to come and the highlights on the week that was in sports with your calls 1-800-849-2761 next on the david glenn show gary player joining us this morning i did 1300 sit-ups and crunches wow i pushed 300 pounds with my legs and i ran on the treadmill you are one of the legends of golf and you've been an inspiration as a person as well what a nice compliment and god bless america you're listening to the david glenn show Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. Welcome back to Free For All Friday. We do have lines open if you'd like to steer the ship. Penn State and Ohio State highlights the college football weekend nationally. Aggie Eagle Classic and other important games closer to home. The boxing world offers a heavyweight championship bout in Vegas. Deontay Wilder, who is worth watching in my opinion, 34 years old, unbeaten in 42 professional fights. He takes on Luis Ortiz. That was actually a good bout a year and a half ago. It is on pay-per-view if you want to check it out tomorrow night or get to Vegas. The Rockets visit the Clippers tonight. They're two of the best teams I've seen in the NBA's regular season so far. Your Panthers visit New Orleans. 
kind of close to must-win territory as the Ron Rivera watch is underway under the owner David Tepper, who met with the media earlier this week and talked about his distaste for long-term mediocrity while not specifying either his GM, Marty Herney, or his head coach, Ron Rivera, or asking questions directly related to their futures. The 8-2 and two Green Bay Packers visit the 9-1 and one 49ers. That's your Sunday night football special on NBC, and I would argue one of the three games most worth watching this weekend. Dallas takes the number one offense in the NFL and the leading passer in the NFL, Dak Prescott, into New England. I haven't seen the weather report yet for late Sunday afternoon, but the 9-1 Patriots will counter that number one in the NFL Dallas offense with the number one in the NFL New England defense. They're only giving up 11 points per game, and they have 28 takeaways. Tom Brady, by the way, is 4-0 and in his career against the Dallas Cowboys. He said he has hated Dallas since he was in the womb. For those who don't know, he grew up a 49ers fan as a West Coast guy. And back then, the Cowboys and the 49ers were in the playoffs a lot against each other. You know, just think Joe Montana and those guys, etc. 49ers family from the womb, he said. He hated the Cowboys. He is now 4-0 in his career head-to-head -head against Dallas and gets a chance to get to 5-0. He had some interesting complaints about the Patriots' offense earlier this week. They really relied on their defense and even trick plays offensively to beat the Eagles last Last week, they have a similarly difficult challenge in the 6-4 and four Cowboys who lead the NFC East, remember, and are in playoff position, but only one game ahead of those Eagles. Dallas has to visit New England, though, that trickier than the Eagles getting those Patriots in Philadelphia last week. The 8-2 Seattle Seahawks visit those 5-5 five and five Eagles. I think that's one of the other best matchups in the NFL. I did not intend this, but as we go to Doug in the triangle, Gary is in Wilson, Dale is in Graham, and you can jump in with your question or comment, 1-800-849-2761. I did not intend Nerf trivia today, Darren, but did you know that Nerf is an acronym? How many times have you thrown or caught a Nerf football or other ball. And did you Hundreds, know? Hundreds, maybe thousands. Did you even know that the Nerf football that I described in honor of the late great Vikings kicker Fred Cox, who died this year and or this week rather, and was the co-inventor of the Nike foot, uh, Nerf football, did you know that that was not the first Nerf product? No. Okay, the first. I would have just assumed a football was their first thing. No, the first was a smaller, foamy, round ball. And it was actually advertised as something heavy enough that you could throw and catch it, right? You can't be feather-like and just blowing in the wind. Heavy enough that you could throw it and catch it like you would more traditional balls, but light enough that it wouldn't hurt anybody and would not damage the lamp in the living room of your home if the kids got a little crazy and the original Nerf ball hit that. The, the Nerf term is an acronym. Non-expanding recreational foam. N-E-R-F. Can't have, you know, they tried other scientific approaches to Nerf-like materials, but then if it rained that day, you know, I, I imagine in the scientific laboratory, they would test, well, what happens if the ball gets wet? Well, yeah. if it doubles in size, that kind of takes it away from the Nerf basketball set, the ball would stop fitting through the hoop if it doubled in size just because <laughs> it got wet, right? So they needed non-expanding recreational foam, 
And sure enough, former Vikings kicker Fred Cox was the co-inventor of the football version of the Nerf. One more piece because I've been getting questions on Twitter and email. Hasbro, which is the parent company of Nerf, also owns Super Soaker, the extremely popular Super Soaker. So that sounds a little bit monopolistic. I'm not sure, but clearly the Nerf folks have a lot of uh, markets cornered as we speak. 1-800-849-2761. Born in 1970, the Nerf ball concept. Nerf football is a few years after that. Fred Cox died this week at the age of 80, and we are raising free-for-all Friday halfway Margaritaville glasses in his honor. 1-800-849-2761. Let me try Doug in the triangle. Has the NBA on his mind. The best I've seen in that league so far, the Lakers, the Clippers, and the Rockets out west, the Bucks, the 76ers, and the Celtics in the east. The Hornets are more interesting than I would have guessed. They're only 6-9 and nine right now, but... Devontae Graham has been fun to watch, even some others. They're actually in their weight class this weekend, if you will. They're at the Washington Wizards tonight. That's a potential win. And then they host the Chicago Bulls tomorrow night. So that's a potential win. Maybe they're 8-9 and nine by the end of the playoffs. Nobody thought they'd be anywhere near 500. So shout out to James Borrego and Marvin Williams and that crew for at least overachieving, if not becoming interesting enough to be a playoff contender. Doug, what's on your mind on Free For All Friday? Hey, DG, how you doing? Doing great, man. What's up? Well, I've actually got another DG on my mind on one of your NBA's best, the Lakers. Uh, Danny Green, uh, he's always been an interesting case to me because uh, while he was a McDonald's All-American coming out of high school, um, compared to, like, all the other countries' best, he just, he's never seemed to be, at first, the most naturally talented. True. He's worked to get to the level he is. Yeah. Um, and from there, you know, uh, I believe, well, definitely NCAA champion out of North Carolina, three-time conference champion, two-time NBA champion. I wanted to know what you thought, think, his uh, Hall of Fame odds for someone who's so decorated for team accomplishments, but less so on the individual accomplishment yeah. side. Interesting. I, I'm more of a baseball Hall of Fame guy in terms of numbers that just click in my head as sort of a threshold where a guy usually gets to that threshold or must get there to have a chance of being in. The downside of Danny Green in that conversation is that he's probably not even a 10-point-per-game career scorer. And it's, it's when you start saying the best of the best ever in any sport, uh, we all know how valuable he is, man. He's a glue guy. He's a leader. He's unafraid. He's a three-point assassin. He's a defender. I think he's one of those classic examples of the modern 3 and D label, right? He was even that at Carolina for Roy Williams as part of that national championship team. Um, but at the NBA level, can you be a rotation guy more than sort of a top of the lineup sledgehammer? Can you just be a glue guy, defender, three-point specialist, 10-point-a-game guy on enough successful teams that that gets you all the way to the Hall of Fame? I'm skeptical would be my first reaction to that. But on the other hand, he is only in his early 30s. So, I mean, he could add to his resume. But but what do you think? Off the top of my head, I, I don't see it. I, I respect the heck out of Danny Green. But... Off the top of my head, I don't think Danny Green, Hall of Fame candidate. I would have to look at the numbers to compare them more closely, but his career sort of reminds me in a way of almost like a Robert Ori was just around for a lot of, of successful teams. He hit some big shots. Good blast from the past. Yeah, I mean, a great career, 
But did did Robert Ori do enough? He might not have even been a, a ten point per game career scorer. I don't know. Like I said, I would have to pull it up. But that's that's sort of what it reminds me of. And probably somebody we'll all remember for a long time and after to, his career. You know, and to be real, anybody who starts for ten or more years in the NBA, if you're a starting caliber player for a decade or longer. That deserves a tip of the cap, period, right? And Danny Green, while occasionally a guy comes off the bench, and he definitely did that his first two or three years in the NBA. Remember, there was a time they didn't think he would stick in the NBA. Danny Green was a second-round draft pick. If you're a second-round draft pick, they are, by definition, not sure that you'll last at the NBA level. Everybody knew during his time at Carolina, that guy's going to make a lot of money somewhere in the world. Will it be a decade-plus in the NBA? Or, you know, lots and lots of really good ACC players ended up having to play in leagues all over the world to make their livings. Danny Green went from skeptical second-round pick to not starting any games his first couple years in the league and only sometimes even entering games as a backup player to by his third or fourth year, the Spurs gave him a chance to start. And at this point, he has basically, I'm looking it up now, I think this is his ninth consecutive year as basically a full-time starter in the NBA. That deserves a lot of credit. Is it worthy of Hall of Fame consideration? I need to see more. But uh, Danny Green, in terms of the overachiever label, in terms of, you remember when he was turning pro out of Carolina, Danny Green's dad, I think it was, or uncle or somebody close to him, was mad that Roy Williams was not describing Danny Green the way he was describing some other UNC players. You know, and when Marvin Williams is told he's going to be picked top five, right, in the first round, Roy Roy and his his uh, idol and, and mentor, Dean Smith, used to say, I'm not going to tell a young man not to leave school when he has millions of guaranteed dollars waiting for him. I mean, they're, they're happy to keep him if he wants to stay for another year for the college experience or whatever, but they defer to the young man and his family. Dean Smith was doing that, you know, with Michael Jordan all the way back in the early 1980s and Sam Perkins and James Worthy and those guys. When somebody close to Danny Green didn't hear Roy Williams saying similar things, Danny, I believe, ended up staying at Carolina in this context, but there was a back and forth, and it was a reminder of how – uh, a lot of people have been debating for a long time what Danny Green was good enough for. There were doubters about him at Carolina, and he proved them wrong. There were doubters about him when he was being drafted, and he proved them wrong. There were doubters when he didn't start any games his first couple of years, and he's proved them wrong. And there were doubters who thought, well, maybe he'll stick on an NBA roster, but I'm not sure he'll ever really be a full-time starter. Well, you know, nine years later... He was in San Antonio when they won it all. He was in Toronto last year when they won it all. Wouldn't it be interesting if he's a Laker and LeBron and friends can crank out another NBA title there? 1-800-849-2761. Back to your phone calls, free-for-all Friday style on the other side. I have more on the weekend that awaits us, college football, NFL, and even other things. You can be next with your question, comment, or complaint. 1-800-849-2761 is your ticket in to the David Glenn Show. Kurt Busch is joining us, 38-year-old champion of the Daytona 500. I went out with Gronk last night after uh, after we won the race. Did you really? Also, it was fun. Got about an hour's sleep. I asked him, I go, hey, when do you have to report to training camp? He goes, July. I said, well, we can't be friends because i got to <laughs> go back to racing. Stay with us on the David Glenn Show.
Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. Welcome back to Free For All Friday. Our one and only guest is Chris Spatola. He drops by in about 45 minutes, one of our favorites on college basketball. Duke crushed Cal last night. Freshman big man Vernon Carey Jr. with 31 points, 12 rebounds, and four blocks. Yet another five-star newcomer paying off quickly for Mike Krzyzewski and the number one Blue Devils. They get Georgetown tonight. The Hoyas actually beat top 25 and previously undefeated Texas up in New York. So it's Duke-Georgetown tonight among the college basketball matchups worth watching this weekend. Dale is in Graham. Gary is in Wilson. You can jump in with your question or comment at 1-800-849-2761. That is your ticket into the program. Penn State is at Ohio State. Texas A&M visits number four, Georgia. LSU quarterback Joe Burrow gets a breather and looks to polish his Heisman credentials against a lesser opponent. Remember, A&M not only has number four Georgia this week, they go to LSU, the Aggies do, of Jimbo Fisher next week. So it got to be the toughest schedule in America, right? As Georgia hosts Texas A&M, you might assume that the Bulldogs are like most of the other contenders in college football this weekend, where there's almost no way the underdog is going to win. Like, do you believe Herm Edwards and Arizona State are going to jump up and bite a one-loss Oregon team? Probably not. Not impossible. But the Sun Devils are only 5-5, five and five, but they are at home, so who knows. But Oregon, heavy favorite over Arizona State. Utah, heavy favorite over Arizona. LSU, heavy favorite over an Arkansas team that's already fired its head coach and is you know, moving on to the coaching search, et cetera. As 7-3 and three, Texas A&M visits number 4 Georgia, the best one-loss resume in the eyes of the committee so far. Keep in mind that the Aggies' three losses, as we come back to your calls, 1-800-849-2761. Jimbo Fisher and the Texas A&M Aggies' three losses are all to teams in the national top 15. When you see 7-3, and three, you're probably like me. Well, that's not a bad team, but it's not a great team, and there's no reason to talk about them. Well, if you're 7-3 and three and your losses are, are to, ready for it, still undefeated Clemson, which would be in the college football playoff if they're Started or was one starting today. One loss, Alabama, which still has a shot to crack the final four. And Auburn, those are your three losses. Well, that's seven and three that takes on a different kind of meaning. Will they win at Georgia? I don't know, but I didn't expect the Gamecocks to win at Georgia either. Obviously, the margin of error is out the window for almost anybody in the top 10. Even if you're Ohio State, if you lost at home to Penn State, keep in mind, Penn State would win the division. And you, the Buckeyes, would not even get to play in the Big Ten championship game. Do not forget, whereas there are mountains of subjectivity for the committee to digest. And yes, it does come down to a, hopefully a matter of educated opinion when they pick the Final Four. Do not forget that it is in the rules that you get the benefit of the doubt, essentially, if you're a Power Five conference champion and it's a close call. If you have two losses as a Power 5 champion, well, good luck to you. No two-loss team has ever gotten in, even if they've won the conference championship. But imagine if you were 11-1 Ohio State, but not playing on champ conference championship weekend. Well, then you're kind of back in an Alabama-type situation, right? Because Alabama's not playing in the SEC title game. Alabama, if it beats Auburn a week from tomorrow, will be 11-1. The Tide has Western Carolina. Good luck to the Catamounts this weekend as Alabama has to give more snaps to Mac Jones, the backup to the injured Tua Tungavaloa. 
if Ohio State loses to Penn State, and I don't think the Buckeyes will, but if it happened, you're 11-1, and you're home on conference championship weekend, you lack the 13th data point, and in the rules it says you must be unequivocally better as a non-conference champion than whatever conference champion resume you're being compared to. The margin for error is out the window, right? Clemson can't just, like, lose to South Carolina next week. Again, extremely unlikely to happen. But they can't lose to whomever in the ACC title game either and just expect to be there. In all likelihood, Clemson's going to be a 13-0 ACC champ. I believe Ohio State will be a 13-0 Big Ten champ. We'll see if LSU remains unscathed. If anybody has some wiggle room left, it might be LSU, given the number and magnitude of their wins. We'll see if they need that mulligan, if you will, or even if that mulligan would leave them on the outside looking in. 1-800-849-2761. Gary and Wilson, you're next on Free For All Friday. Go right ahead. Yes, thank you, DG. First, I'd like to give a Nerf note. Nerf note. I think think Fred Cox, for uh, developing the Nerf product. When I was uh, a younger man, 20-some or so years ago, teaching and coaching soccer to young children, including my own, in camps and clinics, we used the Nerf balls frequently as our way of teaching proper heading technique. Because ah. at the same time, there was the research coming out that said repeated heading of a soccer ball could be harmful. So I used it very effectively as a product with kids. Way ahead of your time, Coach Gary. Well done. Yes. Now, uh, matter at hand, Wake Forest basketball. If Danny Manning cannot produce the season that's needed, and I think he deserves a chance, but it definitely is a question mark. I would, uh, I hate to suggest that someone should depart without feeling there's a solution. And I know you can't make a hire before you make a fire. Yeah. But uh, I would recommend Bob Ritchie, the head coach at Furman, as a good potential fit in the future let's, for Wake. Let's pass that along. Obviously, basketball hot seat conversation is still months away, but we will pass that along to John Curry at Wake Forest. We're back after this. Rob Schneider joining us on the David Glenn Show. When they try to have three days of the NFL draft on TV, my friend said, hey, you going to watch the NFL draft? It's like getting excited about a strip club that's still under construction. <laughs> like you see that building over there in a couple of months? There's going to be some breasts in there. You're listening to The David Glenn Show. Chris Batola of ESPN live in about 35 minutes on all things college basketball. We have a lot more football and other things for you, and we're taking more of your calls at 1-800-849-2761. Free for all Friday continues. Background of the University of North Carolina. We got to win now. Let's don't start looking at rebuilding. Let's don't talk about how bad we are. Let's don't talk about we're not better than anybody. Let's figure out how to win. And that's what we've done in the coastal because it's been up in the air every year. Why shouldn't we have a chance? Keep it dialed in to the David Glenn Show. 